Well, I don't know what you think of when you hear the, the words uh, Great Commission, but usually people are reminded of Matthew 28. Go ye therefore into all the world, baptizing them in the name. Make, make, go there, therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all things just as I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you to the ends of the earth. That's the the well-known Matthew version of the Great Commission. But today in our gospel reading, we actually have another version. Many people aren't even, don't really think about the fact that the Great Commission, the commissioning of, of God's church, of his people to go out and to bear witness to him throughout the world is actually recorded in all four of the gospels in different ways. And today on the day of Pentecost, we're given the, the, the John version. If you're a biblical scholar, Johannine version of the Great Commission. I'm going to my seminary tomorrow, so I have to kind of beef up on my liturgical words. So this is the Johannine version of the Great Commission. Have you ever thought about that? That this is, this is the same as the Great Commission, but what I love about the fact that it's here on Pentecost is that it reminds us that there's this interweaving between God's call to go to the ends of the earth and the promise and the, the, the bringing of the Holy Spirit, the delivering of Jesus' promise to, to fill us with His Spirit and to empower us to do the work He's called us to do, which if you listened, you heard from the, second, the first Corinthians lesson, that was actually some of the word phrasing that Paul uses that empowers us to accomplish the work He's given us to do. Now, you might be wondering, how does John 20 with the upper room and the disciples receiving the Holy Spirit, how does that match with the Acts 2 version of of the 120 or so being up in the upper room and the Pentecost day coming and the the flames coming like, like I don't have flames, but there's there's the Holy Spirit coming like a dove. But but you've got, while we wear the red, it's the day of Pentecost, this, this infilling of the Holy Spirit that you heard read a few minutes ago. How do these two events come together? Well, It should be no surprise to us that, like other things in our spiritual life with Christ, uh, they come in waves, they come in stages. And so likely, this is a a precursor to the day of Pentecost. This is when the the disciples themselves, the apostles, are empowered with strength and the Spirit of God to accomplish the work that they're given to do. Um, So it probably happened a little before the actual day of Pentecost. Now, notice that the disciples are locked away in the upper room in fear. Fear is always the obstacle to our faith in the Lord, isn't it? I mean, isn't that always the problem that we fear? We fear failure, we fear rejection, uh, we fear that God won't come through when we step out. The disciples are full of fear. They're overwhelmed and they've locked themselves into a room for fear of the Jews. And it's not just a, oh, it's all in your head. I mean, Jesus did just get crucified after all, right? So there is reason to be fearful. And even today, we have real legitimate concerns for for fears. Violence against churches, uh, persecutions against Christians. Um, There are opportunities for us to be looked over for raises or 
uh, ignored or ostracized or marginalized because we have these, these antiquated beliefs that there's a God for whom we will give moral account for our lives. How backward and wayward of us, right? They're fearful. They're in the upper room. They're hiding away. And Jesus comes to them by walking through the door. And, of course, this is evidence of the resurrected Jesus. He is able to come through the the doors. He's able to come into their midst despite the fact that the doors are locked. And he comes right into the midst of them. And what does he say? Peace be with you. Just like the angels in in the New Testament, right? When the gospel writers, you know, it's always, they always say, peace be with you. Because what happens when... When you see something supernatural, you freak out. And the disciples are kind of freaked out. Jesus has already promised them peace. Back in 1427, in John's gospel, he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus keeps reminding us that he comes to give us peace. Now, Obviously, they're still Jew. And by the way, when he says they were hiding from the Jews, they were hiding from the Jewish leaders who had killed Jesus and they felt might kill them. There are legitimate reasons to be afraid, but Jesus is proclaiming to them that what the Old Testament calls shalom. Salam in, uh, in the Muslim language. It's this idea of peace. It's the peace of God that is not just the ceasefire, but the cessation of all warfare. Now, obviously, Christ is not proclaiming the cessation of all warfare when he says peace with them, but what he's proclaiming is peace to them in themselves. Peace that passes understanding, Paul calls it. Peace in the midst of the storm. A peace that allowed, remember Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail last week in our, in our New Testament lesson, we were able to sing hymns and be joyful in the midst of the fact that they were locked in a prison. That's this peace, this shalom that God will one day bring on all creation, all the earth, but for now he promises it to us who are citizens of his kingdom, who know Jesus is Lord. He proclaims to them, peace be with you but they don't have any peace until they see Jesus' scars and then they know it's really him. Now, again, not to get back into an Easter sermon completely, but just to remind you, Jesus is, is glorified, his body. He's the first fruits of the glorification of our bodies that one day we will receive and they are like, you know, enhanced human bodies. Jesus has an enhanced human body. It allows him to walk through doors, but yet he retains the scars of his crucifixion. So there's something about him that is very familiar as well as something about him that's very different. Probably why Mary doesn't recognize him when she comes to the garden to anoint the body of Jesus until he speaks to her. Jesus comes and he shows them his scars and in that moment they see and know that it is Jesus himself that is there, not just a Jesus thought or a Jesus wish or a Jesus aberration, but in fact, Jesus himself. And when the presence of Jesus comes, there is peace in the midst of whatever circumstance we have. And Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I will be in the midst of them, Matthew 18. 
One of the things that I believe that, not to say that Jesus is, is saying that I won't be with you if you're alone. I mean, the presence of Christ is present to us when we're alone. But I think there's a, a, a special way in, in the sense that the, the presence of Christ is present to us when we gather together, two or three gathered in his name. It's why it's so essential for Christians to come together, to be a part of a local community so they can, they can have the sense of, they can sense the presence of Christ in their midst. Be built up and encouraged by knowing that it's not simply that we're believing Christ who's far away, but in fact that it is Jesus Christ himself who is present to us in this place. And when Christ is present, he casts out fear. When we receive, in a few moments, the, the body and blood of Christ, we receive communion, we are receiving the, the, the presence of Christ within us, and it casts out fear. Christ comes to drive out the fear of our lives, and to be present to us, and to bring us his peace in the, in the midst of circumstances. Fear is always the obstacle to what Christ wants to bring into our lives. We're slow to trust because we fear things. And if unchecked, fear will paralyze us. This is paralyzing those first disciples. But Christ brings his presence into the midst of them and once they see that it is in fact truly Jesus, they're overjoyed. And then he gives them the commission. First, he says once again, peace be with you. And then he says, as the Father has sent me, so am I sending you. We are the sent ones. We are sent out for him. We're to be his emissaries, his ambassadors. We're to be the light of Christ, little Christ in the world representing him. What a huge task that he's put upon us to think that somehow we can be Christ to people in the world. And yet that is what we're given. That is the work we've been given to do. And Christ has given us his peace that we might know that he goes with us as we are sent out to our neighborhoods, to our jobs, to the hospital, to to the shopping mall, to the public. Does anybody even go to the shopping mall anymore? But to the Publix or wherever you go to get your groceries, wherever you go in your neighborhood, among your friends, as you, as you travel around our city and, and, and abroad, we are to go as the sent ones. We are commissioned, just as much as in the, the Matthew passage, to go and make disciples, to share the light of Christ with people. Now, you know I'm preparing for this doctoral class that I'm taking. I keep mentioning it, hoping that you're praying for me because I'm really overwhelmed by it and I've got a lot to do still. To get, I hope my professors aren't listening, but I've got still a lot to do to get ready for the class. But, uh, but one of the things that Leslie Newbegin, this, this bishop who was, he was English, served 40 years in South India and he worked with the, the uh, United Church of South India. One of the things that, that Leslie Newbegin, he talks about, he says, there's no reason for the church to be prideful or to feel as if it sits superior to the culture. For we are as broken and as needy as the lost people out in the world. 
The only thing that we have is Christ. But that's the most important thing because Christ is the hope of the world. He's the salvation of the world. He's the gift of God to all peoples, every tongue, tribe, and nation, as you heard described again in the Acts passage. So we we bring the presence of Christ, but we don't bring it alone. Jesus doesn't simply just say, I'm with you, you have my peace, but he also breathes on them the Holy Spirit. And John is very intentional here. He wants us to be thinking about God making Adam and Eve in the garden. He wants us to think about the beginning of creation when the Spirit of God began to move and to begin to bring life to everything there is. The things that were declared in the Psalm, Psalm 104, you heard a little bit ago. Jesus breathes on them the Holy Spirit. He gives them the gift of the Comforter, the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity. Not only is Christ present to us, but He has in fact given us His Spirit to be in us, the Spirit of Christ, which is the Holy Spirit, to be with us, empowering us. So we have both His peace and we have His Holy Spirit to empower us to do the work we're given to do. But notice that Jesus says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, when when Paul is knocked off his horse, Saul of Tarsus, book of Acts, Jesus does not say, Paul, receive this knocking off of your horse. Receive blindness in Jesus' name. And he waits for Paul to, or Saul of Tarsus to say, I receive the blindness. He just knocks him off his horse. He just blinds Saul of Tarsus and leads him to a place where he can be, he can hear the word of God. But here Jesus said, he breathes on them. He gives them the life of the spirit. But then he says, receive the spirit. Maisha will be baptized in a few minutes. This precious little girl. And in and, and that moment, we proclaim over her the salvation in Jesus Christ. And one day, Maisha will proclaim Christ as Lord for herself. She will, be, she will confirm that truth. And somewhere in the midst of her proclaiming Christ, the Holy Spirit will come into her and empower her. But there will be times in her life and there are times in our lives where we need to say, I received that Holy Spirit that came into my life when I believed in Christ and, and I asked the Holy Spirit, I asked the Holy Spirit to empower me, to embolden me, to accomplish what you called me to do. The church throughout the ages has struggled with how to deal with the Holy Spirit. J.I. Packer says he's the most neglected member of the Trinity. We don't quite know what to do with it because oftentimes the Holy Spirit is not really good at uh, obeying rules or being sophisticated and refined and proper. When he falls on people, Katie bar the door. And yet we desperately need the power of the Holy Spirit. But, But hear that word. He breathes on them the Holy Spirit and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Embrace its power in your life, his power in your life, and and allow him to work through you. 
Now, it occurred to me this week as I was preparing for the sermon to, to realize that oftentimes the things we try to accomplish are the things that we can do in our own strength, which completely negates the need for a Holy Spirit. Why do we do that? Why do we, when people say, will you take this on? We go, you know what, I'm, I'm, I don't think I've got the gifts or talents or the ability or the time. You know, because we're thinking within my own strength and my own wisdom and my own ability, I don't think I can accomplish it, so we say no. But yet, Jesus has given us his Holy Spirit. He's purposely calling on us to, to attempt things in his name that are beyond what we can do. Because that's the reason he's given us the Holy Spirit. He gives us his peace. He gives us his spirit. And then this odd way that Jesus ends after having given them the Holy Spirit, he he proclaims to them the last verse there, verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, what in the world is Jesus saying there? Is he suggesting that somehow that that I should have the power to decide whether or not Ken Langland's sins are forgiven? Ken's hoping not, right? Well, of course not. Jesus is not trying to give an arbitrary power of, of the disciples or you or I power over someone else receiving forgiveness. What, what is he getting at there? Well, again, the key is Christ and his proclaiming of forgiveness for sinners. Weren't you rubbed wrong when you heard the last verse of our psalm, Psalm 104? Ooh, let, it was basically, let sinners be destroyed. You know, and, and you're like, ooh. I, I hope you were, because I was. If you were, unless you were asleep during the psalm, you were like, "Oh, why do, why didn't David delete that verse?" You know, it's like, Ugh. this is Pentecost. We're happy. Why? You know. Well, it's it, that's for those who will not repent, who will not receive the forgiveness that Christ comes to offer. My New Testament professor at Trinity, Rod Whitaker, says. The ultimate thing that people need to be forgiven for is rejecting Jesus. Why do we need forgiveness? Because we've rejected Christ. That's the great sin of humanity, that Christ came into the world and that men loved the darkness. It's what got him crucified. Because his own people, his own culture, his own tribal leaders would not receive him and in fact crucify him. But here's the irony and the twist of the gospel that the one who has been rejected and whom we've sinned against is the very one who went to the cross and died for our sins that he could offer us forgiveness. So are you and I as the church, as the sent ones, are sent out into the world weak, broken, sinful ourselves, oftentimes mirroring the culture around us, we present Christ 
who has the power to forgive sins and to restore people in the right relationship with the Father. That's what Jesus is talking about. If you forgive them, they're forgiven. If you, in other words, if you bring Christ, who is their forgiveness, to them, they can be forgiven. But if you withheld that forgiveness, in other words, if you fail to go, then forgiveness is withheld. Put in that way, the call to be the light of Christ, the witnesses for Christ, becomes very great and at the same time almost a little bit overwhelming. Which is it? Which is it? Both. Who said that? Thank you, Karen Kirby, home from the Agape year. It's both. Missionaries will tell you, they go on the field. I've heard it from, from non-charismatic missionaries. They said, we got out into the war, we got out into another continent and we started encountering all sorts of things and we became charismatic. We, we all of a sudden, we needed to depend upon the Holy Spirit because there's demon possessions and there, there are people, there's things that are coming against us. And so quietly, secretly, even among the Baptists, they will tell you that Baptist missionaries become charismatics on the mission field because we can't do the work without the Holy Spirit. But I will also tell you, I've seen lots of people attempt to be filled with the Holy Spirit and ignore the Great Commission. Can I humbly say, I mean, I'm... I'm, I'm awed by the renewal, the charismatic renewal that happened in the Episcopal Church and other liturgical churches in the 70s and 80s and 90s. I am, I am overwhelmed by it. It's impressive. The, the way the Spirit moved through liturgical mainline churches and renewed and brought life to them is a work of God and it is without question a marvelous thing. But if you know anything about Episcopal Anglican churches today, you'll know that we are suffering from what we call the graying of the church. The graying of the church simply means that we who are Christians increasingly have grayer and grayer hair, and we have not effectively reached the next generations down. And so you have large, renewed Anglican Episcopal congregations that are growing 60s, average age 70s and 80s and could it be that in our fervor for the renewal, the power of the Holy Spirit, we ignored the Great Commission? They cannot be separated. We're empowered, we're brought, we're, we grow up in the Lord in order to go out and be His sent ones, and, but we are His sent ones desperately needing the power of His Holy Spirit. So on this day of Pentecost, as we come to baptize this, this beautiful little girl, we come to celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit. A couple of thoughts, just applications for you to consider. First of all, where is fear paralyzing you? Where are you like those disciples and you're afraid and locked away? Christ comes to bring his presence in your life that you might know his peace is beyond all human understanding. 
I think it begins simply by admitting what you're afraid of. And maybe the fear is real. But even if it's real, Christ wants to be a presence in your life that brings peace. He's done it for me, and he has to do it continually, and he will do it for you. Where are you paralyzed by fear? The presence of Christ cast out fear. And secondly, are we attempting to do things that God can only accomplish by the power of the Holy Spirit? Or are we simply just taking on little tiny things that we can do in our own strength? We're given the Spirit that we might dream dreams and have visions. Just to give you an example, then I'll close. I know I said that already once, but this is really the closing. I had lunch with Dr. Tom Benton, a pediatrician, member of a congregation, comes to the 8 o'clock service, and Tom and I were going back and forth, and, and, and Tom's one of those guys that it's a good kind of spiritual sandpaper for me, and he was pricking me, and I was pricking him, and we're challenging each other's, and, and, and I said, Tom, I said, the, the, the pastors of, of Eastside Gainesville, the thing that really that their prayer, it's on their minds and hearts, is, is the failure of our school system to teach our children. It's too many D and F rated schools in our county. It's, it's appalling. It's embarrassing. We've got the premier university, and yet we've got children that can't read. And Tom said, we've got Ken Campbell right in our own congregation, Alex. He's got that great LEAPS program that helps children to read. And I said, Tom, the school system won't deal with him, won't allow him, they shut him out. Tom said, well, what if we got these pastors together with Ken and saw what they could do, not through the school system, but through the churches to teach our children to read? And I thought, man, that is a presumptuous idea. That is an idea that only the Holy Spirit could accomplish. Because if you know Ken, he's a little bit crazy. And if you know, you know pastors, they sometimes have a hard time getting their mind around an idea that they didn't think of. And I'd say that knowing that, being one of them. But I called up my friend Carl Anderson. I said, I said Carl, I said, what do you think? And he goes, man, you know that August is our education focus for Alachua County Christian Pastors Association? I, I forgot that. He said, do you think your guy, Tim Campbell, would come and be our speaker? I said, I think he'll do that. Called Ken. He's available. It's booked. It's, this is the things that I'm talking about. Feet to our prayers. Faith that steps out. Attempting things that we have to have the power of the Holy Spirit working through us or they will fail because we want to accomplish things that people can't say, oh, that was just that group of Christians over at Service of Christ. But no, that was something that the Holy Spirit did through those people. It requires our action, but it also requires the Spirit of God. Are we ready to be the people of God? who confess our fears, who, who seek the presence of Christ, who attempt things that only we can do in the Holy Spirit. I pray we are.
We built a building. Well, we didn't build it, but we bought it. We're restoring it. Not just for ourselves, but that it might be a ministry station in the city that we might minister, that we might serve Gainesville and Alachua County. And I know that seems ridiculous because we're 100 people here serving 120,000 just in the city. But that is nothing for the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Well, let's baptize this little girl and let's rejoice in what the Lord is doing in our midst and let's continue to pray for Christ's presence and to receive His Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.